Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Listeners, I've got a few questions for you. Is there someone you know who gets super intense over Scrabble? Is it you? When I say Uno, can you see those cards in your mind? Have you spent countless hours building a world out of blocks? And did you make a nether portal? Most of us have at least a little experience with playing games. Playing together is fun, maybe a little frustrating sometimes, and it can help us bond with each other. Today, we're talking with folks who take games pretty seriously for the joy they get from the gameplay itself and for the connections they formed with their fellow gamers. But first, now that the local and statewide primaries are in the books, many people are looking ahead to the midterm elections in November. But what about the people who've lost their housing? Will registered voters who are unhoused still have the opportunity to cast a ballot? Here to help answer those questions is Dulce Torres Guzman, reporter for the Nat- for the Tennessee Lookout. Pardon me, Dulce. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Hi, happy to be here. Glad to have you with us. So you've written about this issue for the Lookout, and I'm wondering if you can start by giving me a sense of how evictions are affecting voting patterns. Well, I've been covering evictions over the last two years, and once the pandemic started and didn't go away after a couple months and evictions started piling up. Uh, Funds weren't getting to people quickly enough. So um, there just hundreds of evictions were happening almost every single day. And it's only logical what would happen to local elections if so many people have been pushed out of the city after having an eviction on their record and being unable to rent. If And I would assume they would be unable to have the funds to buy housing. So Mm -hmm. basically they're leaving the county. And uh, as you know, any large um, waves of movement cost disparities because uh, the people that get elected just become a product of of what's happening here on the ground. Well, how many people might be affected by this mass wave of evictions? Um. Well, as we, I've been, I've tried to give as much uh, to highlight these different develop, uh, different apartments and different parts of town where you're seeing a lot of developers coming in and buying up the areas. And, you know, in some of these um, apartment complexes, there's hundreds of tenants that are living, that were living there and were evicted. Um, and to some degree, that could be enough to interrupt uh, local elections. So we know it can be difficult for people to register to vote, even if they have an address. What type of obstacles do people without a home face when registering to vote? They would be at risk for uh, getting purged from the system. Mm. And they only have a certain amount of time to uh, re-register. And as we know, with the pandemic continuing uh, and with the housing market the way it is, it's getting increasingly difficult uh, and time-consuming to find new housing. I mean, what type of long-term penalties and long-term consequences do people who face eviction go through? 
Well, eviction stays on your record for a couple of years, um, which would make them uneligible for a lot of housing, depending on the landlord's uh, conditions. Um, like some landlords won't accept anyone that has an eviction on their record for two or three years. Mm. Uh, so uh, I was speaking to homeless advocates and uh, they've been trying to uh, find shelter for people who are unable to find housing and even the shelters are overwhelmed right now. Uh, and so base you are uh, seeing a lot of people on the streets or living in hotels. Uh, one source told me that they have their, they know a lot of people are living in hotels, even though it's be impossible to know how many, but, and for that would probably continue for a considerable amount of time. Mm. Can you tell me which communities are the most affected? Uh, immigrant communities, communities of color. Uh, at one point, 20% of evictions were happening in Antioch, mm. which was, um, it's a very diverse community. Uh, and the advocates that I've spoken to, that uh, that diversity is in jeopardy because nobody can, they're all being pushed out of that area that was long known for um, being multicultural. So some of the communities who were most affected by the pandemic are the communities most affected by this eviction crisis. Yes. Where does development fit into all of this? Well, as uh, there, you know, there's like, what, like 100 people moving into Nashville every single day? Yeah, something like that, I've heard. So Nashville is prime market and these um, apartment complexes, one story that I was covering, they noticed that they are, um, were increasingly getting less maintenance on their apartments. One woman complained that she hadn't had air conditioning for two years. Mm. And when they started complaining, they would um, get reprimanded in one way or another by um, getting their lease, uh, their leases changed or terminated. And when they tried to to organize to fight against uh, the eviction notices they were starting to get, they were, as far as I know now, despite all of their work and intervention by city council members, they were, all of the original organizers or just about all of them have been evicted by this point. Wow. I uh, Back to voter registration, I have a question. Like, what has, has the Secretary of State done anything to address general voter registration issues? Not much from what I can tell. We, uh, we... There was a lot of a couple of laws and policies passed to just to go um, against what was it called the um, to being able to to uh, vote by mail. Yes, and even that was pretty popular because as we found out, there is uh, maybe one place in the whole county where you can drop off your mail-in ballot, um, your ballots, and it just they just made it very difficult for people to. To, to vote, basically. Yeah, to be able to exercise the right to vote has uh -huh. been made difficult. I wonder, what are the voting rights advocates you've spoken to, what are they doing to assist people who are really seeking to exercise that right? Um, a lot of people that I've spoken to, they do try to hit up these neighborhoods, go door to door, register people. Um, but as these neighborhoods are getting... Um, dispersed because of gentrification that's becoming increasingly difficult. Um, just getting the word out and finding 
community centers where it's more easy to actually um, educate people about politics. Hmm. Question for you as we get closer to the midterm elections in November, what are you keeping an eye out for in terms of this story? I would be interested to see uh, campaign records for judges, uh, seeing as they played a huge part in how evictions uh, worked here in Nashville. There was a divisionary court created by a judge, Rachel Bell, who was able to mediate and prevent a lot of evictions and other judges tended to side with landlords. So I would be interested to see if uh, they received any sort of campaign funds from hmm. from landlords and developers. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on that with you. That is Dulce Torres Guzman, reporter at the Tennessee Lookout. Dulce, thank you for so much for joining us. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, it's game on. Whether it's strategy of Yu-Gi-Oh! or questing with the guidance of an experienced dungeon master, games of all kinds can help us have fun and feel more connected with each other. So tell us, what are you playing these days? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. And this is Nashville. Every Friday night at Rivergate Mall, a place known for a lack of visitors, a few dozen people get together at the next level games to play into the night. Producer Tasha A.F. Lemley took a trip to Goodlettsville to check in on one special event. You see the pieces come together as none of these bodies have blood. And you know now that it's not the work of a vampire, that the digging was done here specifically because whatever entity did this is intelligent. It knew the Sturges, the bat mosquito, demonic monstrosities, that there would be enough of them here to get rid of enough of the bodies. For me, a Gen Xer, this is some kind of heaven. Does this man have a duck? I have a duck. Okay. He's ducking it. Here, you know what you duck it to. Gamers sit face to face at long tables under fluorescent light. It's mostly guys tonight. Long hair, black t-shirts, bad snacks, energy drinks, serious faces. And it's all in a mall. Yes, those do still exist. And for one night, I'm back in the 90s. If it was not for you here in this moment with your investigation, unfettered fury, that fortress, would be none the wiser to the debauchery that's happening here. Laying out this gruesome scene is Case Cosgrove. He's a professional dungeon master, and that's the person who sculpts and guides the story, helping other players like Patrick Cunzio through these scenes. Let me ask you, are you going to let that uh, fear get in the way of what you do best? No. Then let's fight hell. The card game Magic the Gathering is pre-releasing a new set of cards that are Dungeons and Dragons world-themed. And that's what brought most of these folks out tonight. And, okay, after having this commander draft explained to me no fewer than three times, I still struggle. I swear, this card game has really stepped up in complexity over the last 30 years. I'll let Azrael try. So we are building a 60-card deck. Um, so we have one commander or two, depending on the mechanics, and either 58 to 59-card deck. 
Um, and so what we're doing is draft. So what you do is you'll start off with one pack, each person at the table. You'll open it, you'll go through. In this instance, we'll pick two cards from that pack place them face down and then pass the deck the rest of the cards to the left then the cards go through like that people pick different cards try to build around the commander when you get to the second pack you'll do the same thing only you'll pass it to the right once you get through that pack you'll do the other one and pass it to the left again until you've formed a pool of cards in order to cre create your deck we ready for pack two all right we're passing the other way now guys Yes, to the right. After about an hour of this, they get in pods of four people and play rounds of the game with decks of the newly released cards. Then they leave with cards at the end of the night. Not only the deck I built, so we get any of the cards we from our that we built from this, but um, depending on how many wins you get and such, um, there's a prize pool as well. So the more wins you get, the more packs you get as well. So I'm more of a fan of gamers than a gamer myself. I love the collective brain power in these rooms, the caffeine and enthusiasm and gravity. Over 30 years of seeing some of the same people gaming together and seeing new people come and stay, I still find these rooms deeply moving. Listen, I cried. Okay, you can really tell these tables are for everyone. Every age and size and ethnicity, every gender and ability. Sometimes, sure, we were the ones picked last for sports, but not here. We've made our own lunch table for life. It is not as intimidating as it looks. Um, of course, being a female in a male-centric environment, it can, uh, for women, it can be incredibly hard. I, I didn't think a few months ago that I would have the experiences that I do today, and I'm so glad that I do. I was very on the fringe of it. You have to find the right people, the right people that says, no, we are including you. Uh, I am, I'm very much an introvert-extrovert, and I can be around people, but me personally getting into it is very hard. But um, it's that push, that edge, and voila, you're in a different world. Okay, my head is still spinning right now from trying to figure out the rules of play, but that last voice you heard was Naz. She works at Next Level Games with Ronnie Foster, who helps host these game nights in Rivergate, and they're both here with us today. Hey, Ronnie and Naz, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Glad to be here. Doing well. Really happy to have you yeah. both here. So, Ronnie, tell me, how long have you been pulling these game nights together? Yeah, so we started our uh, late night game night, which is what we do on Friday nights, um, where we host uh, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and previously Yu-Gi-Oh! and also Digimon and Magic the Gathering. Um, we started those hmm, back in the end of February, I believe. Um, so only a couple weeks now, um, and they've been wildly successful. But um, prior to the pandemic, obviously, Friday Night Magic was a thing that every shop in the area always did. So um, I've been working for Next Level Games since um, towards the end of January. Okay. Um, so I've been the manager over there since then. But I've been a patron of the store for a very, very long time, since about 2015. Late night game night. How late do the game nights go? Yeah, so we, we closed the shop at 11 o'clock, so people were able to hang out, as uh, and at least until then. Obviously, if the staff wants to hang a little later, then they can hang a little later, too. So. Okay, people can play games at home or online, but why is it important that you gather gamers together in this way? Yeah, I mean, gathering, there's something about community, right? I mean, we all know this, uh, whether that's something that you do um, as like a, your, your religion or it's something that you do um, 
a hobby, right, as we do. Um, there's something about being in the room with people that are like-minded or maybe even not like-minded, but they are there for a, a central cause, which is playing a game. Um, it's, it's pretty it's pretty interesting to see the differences in walks of life. I mean, we have people that are constantly, um, or excuse me, that are um, from all, all, all spectrums. You know, we mm-hmm. have, we have uh, LGBTQ, um, plus we also have people that are working in ministry. I mean, these are people that are just um, there for a centric desire, and that desire is to play this game, whatever game it is, whether that's D&D or, or um, Magic the Gathering. So. Okay, so Naz, you're relatively yeah. new to D&D, which is Dungeons & Dragons, for any listeners who may not know. Yes. What has your experience been like playing the game? So um, I started playing Dungeons & Dragons after meeting Case Cosgrove, uh, which was uh, mentioned previously. Uh, he is my dungeon master. He got me into it back in December, was my first official game. And Dungeons & Dragons, for me, seems like the ultimate form of improvisation. Okay. Um, it is acting and also sort of like a dissociation. Uh, me personally, I have mental health issues. I have a severe anxiety disorder. And through Dungeons and Dragons, it helps me sort of cope. Uh, it lets me be someone else for a little while. And you are transported into a fantasy land where, of course, there are a set of rules that you have to abide by, but you are able to do basically what you want to do. Okay, so without getting too deep into gameplay, how would you describe what those games are about for someone who has absolutely no experience with them? Okay, so first off, nobody told me that Dungeons and Dragons is just your dungeon master trying to get you to do math for like four okay. hours. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it's a little bit of head math, but also it's rolling dice. It's taking chances. It's a little bit of gambling. It's uh, deciding for a split second what you're going to do. Uh, you get that adrenaline rush in combat. Um you're able to seduce a monster or okay. <laughs> possibly fly away from a situation. It's, again, whatever you want it to be, whatever you set up your character to be. For instance, my main character is Talvi, a uh, wood elf sorceress. I would akin her to Lumpy Space Princess from Adventure Time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I have a boyfriend <laughs> sort of girl. Okay. And... Um, uh, she is definitely not my personality, but being able oops, to play her is one of the best experiences that I've ever seen, uh, ever had in my entire life. Okay, so Ronnie, how long does the average D&D game last? Oh, that's a loaded question. I know on Friday nights we do one-shots, and one-shots are about four hours, three to four hours. Wow. Um, but typical D&D campaigns can last as long as your dungeon master has content. Um, so there's some campaigns that I've heard of that have been going on for years and they meet like maybe weekly and they just keep going and keep trekking and keep trekking. Maybe they defeat this monster here and so they move on to the next monster. So it's a it's a campaign and not a game. Yeah, it's more like a video game, right? Like we, we've all played something similar where like Zelda, old school Zelda, where you, you have a, a, a goal to get mm-hmm. to, right? Mm-hmm. There's always that goal, but the way that you get there is very different um, and it's up to your dungeon master to get you to the end goal but then that end goal can maybe 
lead to another end goal. Okay. Yeah, that's it's, just it's definitely like the goalpost is always moving. Wow. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So completely up to imagination Absolutely. and creativity. Whatever the dungeon master wants to do, really. <laughs> wow. So it's a lot of pressure to be a good dungeon master. Absolutely. Have you ever played a game where the dungeon master just is not up to par? Um, so I am really new uh, to D and I, I have I have listened to a couple of podcasts <laughs> where the dungeon master was not up to par. Um, but my dungeon masters that I've played with so far have been excellent. Um, they've been very uh, fluid. Uh, so if you made a decision that maybe could have probably cost your character's life in some situations, they've they tried to maybe mitigate that a little bit at times. But um, no, I've not I've not experienced a dungeon master that's been poor, but I definitely know that there's some out there. Okay. I'm sure Naz probably yes. has experience with that. Yes, absolutely. All right. So props go to yes. the D and D master, dungeon masters who hold it down. Yes. But okay, so during the pandemic, streaming platforms like Twitch have gotten even more popular. And Naz, you're a streamer, right? Yes, I am. So for folks who may know, may not know, what is Twitch streaming? What's it like? Twitch streaming is sort of like a live television broadcast, uh, but it's on a specific website, twitch.tv. Um, basically, uh, for me, I set up a webcam and I have a microphone and people watch me play video games once or twice a week. Um, I only play for an hour, but uh, you are also able to chat with the live streamer through a chat log, and um, I try and reply to every chat message that I get. Is it hard to concentrate while you're in the game? I know like when I'm playing video games, I kind of like to do it alone because I don't want people messing around with me because oh, I'm trying to you know, su succeed in my quest. Mm -hmm. But if you're chatting with folks while you're playing, does that make it more difficult? Um, honestly, for me, it does not. I have an attention deficit anxiety disorder. Uh, I am able to sort of handle it, but I can see where some people, it would trip them up and make it very difficult for them. Um, especially if you're playing a uh, high, like adrenaline games, sort of like Call of Duty or um, maybe a really hard platformer. Uh, right now I'm playing Shovel Knight and... Uh, it's it's a 16-bit platformer, and I remember last night chat did get my attention, and I ended up falling down a hole. Okay. <laughs> so um, it, it's definitely hard to concentrate, but it's a lot of fun. Just want to rewind real quick. What is platformer? What is platforming? What is that term? So anytime you see uh, games sort of like, if you've ever played the Super Nintendo. Oh, you, yeah. Uh, you know Donkey Kong Country. Um, you know... A Super Mario World, those are platformers where the screen, screen stays sort of static, uh, but it follows the character on a specific plane, uh, like an XY plane. Gotcha. So, uh, like Mario Brothers. Yes, exactly like Mario Brothers. I'm a champ at that. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil e. Colonna. We're talking about gaming and the reasons people come together to play. Our next guest has plenty of experience with that on the video game side of things. Jessica Manro is a Twitch streamer as well and an esports organizer. Jessica, Thank you so much for coming on to the show. I want to ask you a question. I'd like to hear what your experience has been like. You put yourself out there on Twitch. Why did you start doing that? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, 
why I started doing this was so I could connect with other people. It was really hard for me to connect with people um, in a new city. And I just was really needing, you know, like something to do, somebody to connect with. So I just went live and the rest is history. (laughs) (laughs) So you mostly stream World of Warcraft. And I have to say, I really love your hoodies. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, there's stylish. Let's listen to a bit of one of your more recent streams. Oh, she died again! My armpits are tingling. What? What? Mom? What? What? Why are you? I'm just <laughs> laughing, buddy. I think I need my. I think I can't even talk. Oh my god. I think I need to become an engineer. <laughs> okay, sounds like you were having a ton of fun out there. Yes. So, for those of us who aren't used to watching Twitch, <laughs> tell us a bit about all of what you're doing when you stream. Okay, so when I stream, I'm trying to keep it entertaining, keep it light and interact with um, my community as well as try to interact with the people that I'm playing with. And um, since I was playing World of Warcraft, I'm trying to focus really hard on a mythic dungeon, which is pretty competitive. Um, PVE style and I'm trying to focus and sometimes I sometimes I mess up and it just gets me to laughing if it's something I don't expect and a lot of the times um you know my community will like uh put in the chat you know like lol and they'll do some emotes and um and you can hear my son in there yeah and usually he's like what are you doing mom what's so funny and it's uh it I don't know. It's just something that kind of just like lightens my mood and gets me gets me feeling happy, gets those happy endorphins going. It definitely sounds like the happy endorphins are flowing and they're contagious, by the way. So I love that. Now, oh, thanks. you're moving not just into playing, but organizing, like pulling a community together to play these games. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yes. you, there's a lot of parallels to with what Ronnie is doing. So I'd really love to hear from both of you. Jessica, first, why do you go the extra mile for this world? Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that there are others out there just like them um, doing the same hobby that they're doing and they uh, don't need to feel so isolated. So I organized a local group in Nashville and um, before the pandemic, we used to meet up and we used to talk about our struggles and our celebrations and what we could do to be better. And it just, it just um, give, it gave us, a sense of community, a sense of belonging and not feeling so isolating, which streaming can feel isolating. Ronnie, what is it for you? I mean, I think I just echo what she says. Um, and, and, and if I could add to that, there's something about um, being in community uh, that, that is, uh, I think about a time when um, I was part, I wasn't, I wasn't working at Next Level Games, and um, I remember a time when uh, one of our our friends' dads died, and I remember how the community came around him. 
Um, and that's just something that when you're gaming on your own or you're, as you said, uh, you know, focused on the game, right? You don't get that kind of um, that kind of engagement from a video game, but you do get that kind of engagement from a community, which is why I believe and I've pushed very hard um, at, at our shop to to see that kind of community flourish, to see um, and invite people in because there are so many people out there that, as Jessica said, um, they feel like that they're kind of an outlier and they're alone or they're weird or they're, they're different. Um, and that's not to say also that the entire gaming community is weird and different, right? There's a lot of very normal individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, uh, what I have seen is that these people that maybe are on the fringes, they have been invited into this circle and this circle has then kind of become a support system for them. Maybe they've, they're going through um, a transition of, 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 of what they're doing um, uh, as an as a individual. Uh, I know of, of a trans person specifically in my, that comes to mind. And, um, and, and there was just such graciousness, such love there. Mm. And, and that doesn't happen with a TV screen, right? Yeah. That doesn't happen um, on your own. And, and that's why I'm such an advocate for um, the inviting of people into the room so that they can realize that they can be accepted for who they are right where they're at, not who they could be. Naz, do you feel that support? Absolutely. Um, I do have to say being a woman and working at a card shop is a little bit intimidating at first Um, because, you know, you don't know if you're going to be an outlier or if you're going to be accepted into the community. Um, I I just recently got hired a few weeks ago, and I have to say that it has been nothing but humor, love, and support so far from all of the community. Um, I am so glad I've gotten this opportunity to meet and be a part of this this wonderful team. Question for you, Jessica. You are yes. involved in eSports. Yes. Can you break down what eSports <laughs> are? Well, eSports is um, an online competitive scene where people are going against other people or people are going against an environment. And it's all about uh, beating, beating the environment or beating the other people. So I heard that college has even have esports teams now. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. Are, are players eligible for scholarships? Yes, it's so exciting. There are so many colleges out there right now that are offering scholarships to um, people who are involved in esports. Wow, how does that work? Well, most of the time, it depends on your rank, your skill level in the game. And um, when you go, you try out just like any other, you know, sport or even like, you know, music, you try out and you see if you make the team or the or the band or whatever orchestra. And then you get offered a scholarship based on your skill. And it's it's really kind of cool. These are there. Are there like major games? I mean, is this like major sports events? Yes, yes, it's major. Uh, there's actually some esport, uh, like I guess coliseums being built. There's wow. some in California, and over in like you know Europe or Asia, there's just like they sell out huge stadiums all to play these 
fantastic games and to compete with each other. And it's really, really cool. It's an it's awesome environment. I was, I was born many years too early because I would just love to tell my parents, I'm going to college and I'm majoring in esports. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to give many thanks to Jessica Manro, Naz, and Ronnie Foster for coming on to the show. Really appreciate you having being with us. Thanks for having us. It just so Thank happens you. that we have a college sport athlete in our extended WPLN family. Host Nina Cardino, Cardona recently caught up with her son, Edward. Let's listen. I've been a mom for more than two decades, and there have been a lot of surprising moments in that time. But I don't think anything's been quite as surreal as logging into an app called Twitch to watch live streams of my son playing intercollegiate video games even sometimes with play-by-play announcers reacting. My son's name is Edward, but in eSports, he's FGL fan. FGL, could it be the ace? Yes, it will! FGL guarantees the overtime and UAH stay alive. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest, I don't really understand this game, which is called Valorant, even with the color commentary. But it's super clear to me that gaming has been a lifeline for my son. Starting college early in the pandemic meant that all of the usual ways of meeting people were out the window. But because he joined the esports team, he made friends from the safety of his dorm room. Edward's home for the summer right now. And I popped into his room the other day to watch him practice. Probably should have had him. And he showed me what other games are on his laptop. So there's at least. There's um, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, this is a mother realizing her son's playing even more games than she thought. <laughs> well, we haven't even gotten into the Steam library yet. Oh, my goodness. Your elementary school, when you were playing some of these games. Oh, yeah. Especially with LEGO Star as a complete soccer. I was playing that a lot when I was younger. Yeah, that's what I associate with Saturday mornings. Like, for me, it was Saturday morning car- yeah. cartoons. For you, it was LEGO Star Wars. Yeah, right? yeah. That's an age where you can't really do many things on your own. Because you're because you're just little and you can enjoy something on your own without anyone's help and just feel it out, figure it out, explore it. Some of the same things that would be especially exciting as a little kid who doesn't get to go out and do things on your own very often. That that would like become doubly important when we were all locked down. I couldn't go out. I couldn't go see people. I couldn't do a whole lot of anything. There's always more to do in a video game. We have to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into a world of board games. If you want a challenge in the game of shooters and ladders, I'm totally down. Hit me up. What are some of your favorite memories about board games? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. When I was growing up, game night was always an eventful evening. When family came to visit during the holidays or the occasional Friday night, we pulled out Monopoly or my grandmother's favorite, Connect Four, and got down to some seriously 
fun times. I'm talking serious fun times. Grandma was damn near undefeated. From the classics to new creations, board games are a great way to have some fun and add an extra bonus from these digitally oversaturated times. There's no need for screens or phones. My next guests are some seriously dedicated gamers. Larry Neal is a board gamer and runs the gaming podcast, The the Spoken Token, and Andy Matthews runs the website Meeple Mountain, which reviews all sorts of games. Larry, Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, man. Thanks a lot. I'm so excited to be here. It's a pleasure to have you both here. So, Larry, you are a gaming devotee. <laughs> Tell me, why board games? <laughs> why board games? Uh, from the first time that I sat from a board I should say a board game is one of the first things that pulled into my collective memory. I was at the ripe old age of about four, mm -hmm. and it was Christmas, and I have two older sisters. And I remember my parents got us a board game, and we sat there, and we played it, and I remember the feeling of looking around at my two sisters thinking, wait, we're playing together. This is, this is great. I don't know what this is, but it's us together. And every time I play a game now, whether it's with people that I know, whether it's for work, I always steal that look around because that moment when people connect around the table is just wonderful to me. And, and nothing else has ever done that for me. So that's great. Andy, how did your love for board games develop? Uh, I unfortunately am an only child. So the only people that I had to play with were my mom and dad. Uh, but growing up, yeah, we played Risk and uh, Frontier 6, which is this unknown board game, and, and Rummy and all sorts of things. Uh, yeah, so that's how I got started. So similar, but um, I got to share it with my parents instead of my sisters. Now, I understand that you stepped away from the gaming table for quite some time, but an experience at a wedding brought you back. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, fast forward probably through about 15 or 20 years, uh, my basically my teens and early 20s, I, you know, I played a game here and there. Uh, but it wasn't until I was probably in my early 30s, uh, we were, my wife and I were at a wedding, and uh, one of my wife's friends was like, hey, we have this game called Ticket to Ride. Uh, you guys want to play with us? And at that point, I didn't know what hobby board gaming was. I didn't even know it was a thing, right? Because most people think, you know, board games are Scrabble and Monopoly. Uh, and we played Ticket to Ride, and it just blew my mind because it's uh, it's a sophisticated game, uh, and it's got lots of really interesting stuff that I'd never seen before, uh, and that just got me hooked, like right right there. What'd you do after that? Uh, we went back and bought Ticket to Ride. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, and then uh, I, I you know I read through Wired magazine, and uh, I'm into tech. That's that's what I do for a living, uh, and I came across this uh, Wired magazine article from uh, a group of guys called Geek Dad, uh, and they actually covered a, a card game called Carnival by Chris Kirkman. You know that yes, one? Yes, yes. And, uh, and, and I was like, what? That sounds amazing. Like, you could basically build a, your own carnival? And so I, I ordered it. I literally ordered it, and that's kind of the, the, that was like the refresh of that Ticket to Ride memory. And basically, that was it. Okay, so you got the refresh. You got the inspiration and the passion back. How did you turn that into Nashville Game Night? Yeah. Uh, so I used to work for Eventbrite, uh, this is a ticketing agency here in Nashville, uh, and I had heard that our San Francisco office was doing uh, a game night where people could come into the office, and I think at one point they had like 100 people, and I thought, thought to myself, that's awesome, how can I do that? And so I asked our office manager, and she said, Heather, 
if you're out there listening, Heather, it's, it's all for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, and she actually gave us $250, uh, gave me $250 to buy a bunch of games. And, and I invited some people that I worked with and some friends. And, and it started out with five people at the office, and then it was 10, uh, and then it was 20. And pretty soon, the Nashville office couldn't actually hold the number of people who were coming. And this is over probably like a three or four month period, five month. Uh, and so I was relatively well known in Nashville tech scene. And so I started asking my friends, hey, does your company like have more space than we do? Can we come and, and game there? Uh, so, yeah. And so we started traveling all around Nashville. Uh, basically, we grew up to 30, 40 people a night and the companies would basically give us pizza and then they could pitch their product or if they're hiring. And, and all the people at that point were software engineers, which is what I do. Uh, and then from there, that just grew into our current permanent home, which is at Nashville Software School, which is a nonprofit here in Nashville. Uh, and our height, about uh, in uh, 2018, we had 120 or 130 people wow. like every night yeah. or every every month uh, for for Nashville Game Night. It was it was insane. Like we were literally running out of space and flowing out into like classrooms on the side, and, and it was amazing. I love that. It sounds like something I want to check out now. Larry, you've developed a love for board games into a career. <laughs> How did you get into gaming publishing? Wow, uh, that actually came through my podcast. Uh, like you said, The Spoken Token, we started that. It'll be seven years ago, coming up here just next month, okay. that, that we started the podcast. And I wanted to reach out to local sources of publishers and designers just because they were here. You know, at the time, obviously, we were low budget. We wanted to have quality guests on, so, you know, let's start there. And that's where we first started interacting with Van Ryder Publishing, which is who I work for now. Um, they sponsored us a couple of years back for, for the year, gave us some money and sponsored us. But they've always been, they were always fantastic with us. And with me, it's not just about playing the game, but everything about the industry is so fascinating. How they're designed, how they're distributed, the shipping of them, the marketing of them. And those are the things I tried to pull out in my podcast. So just sticking close to them and trying to pick up as much of that. And they were always really forthcoming with it in terms of sharing that knowledge and that information with us. They had an opening. A couple of years ago, uh, well, not quite a couple, I guess about a year ago. And my co-host was like, hey, man, you should pose for that. Hmm. You know, and before I could think of why not, I'm like, yeah, I should. Mm-hmm. So I did. And so we went in and I had just an amazing, uh, If I don't know if they're listening now, they're probably here later, probably the most thorough interview I've ever had in my life. And I knew my boss and the, the vice president, I knew them well from working with them for about four years. But the interview was it was amazing. It was very detailed. It was over a couple of hours, over a few days. We really covered a lot of things. And then they were able to bring me in and say, OK, yeah, yeah, we want you to come on. We want you to come in. We want you to keep your podcast. And we want that to stay. That has nothing to do with us. But we want you to come and help. And so, you know, made a few changes and looked at my life and was like, this is absolutely what I want to do. So whatever change I need to make, if I can make it, it's worth it. And every day I get up and I do. I have those moments. Andy and I were talking about how I'm thinking, wow, this is my job. (laughs) This is amazing. This is my job. I have that a couple of times a day, every day when I'm sitting here doing what I need to do. So it's definitely don't regret it. Definitely don't regret it. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking with board game enthusiast Larry Neal and Andy Matthews about how they've taken their passion and opened it up to the larger community. So, Larry, question for you. How does someone get a board game published? Wow, that is very interesting. So the number of different ways you can do it. Obviously, with the crowdfunding uh, platform, Kickstarter, you can publish it yourself. Publishing means, obviously, you're going to have it produced. 
you're going to you're going to present it. Ideally, you're going to also develop it. Developing is a little different from designing. Designing is you sitting down with a blank slate of paper and saying, this is a game. Mm-hmm. A developer then takes that and then they polish it. And they're like, okay, here's some rough things here. Maybe we should change that. Hey, why don't we add this? So you're going to presumably do both of those things. And or when publishers are open, like Van Ryder, when, when we're open to submissions, you know, just keep your eye on websites. Take your idea as far as you have it, your polished idea, and present it. And it's it's almost it's kind of like an old doing the work, beating the pavement sort of thing. Uh-huh. If you've got designs, then you need to check the publishers. You do your homework. Figure out do they the other things that they publish are they like the game that I've designed? Do I fill a hole in their lineup? You know, do do that homework, and then you need to get it out there to them. You know, you need you need to get it to them. You need to get it in a package. Find out hey, how do you want this? Do I need to send you a digital file? Do you want a prototype? Can I come and show it to you? You know, okay. and you want to do that if you can, because you want to get in there and let your your natural effervescence hopefully help sell the deal. But you want to shake hands and press palms and say, this is how the game moves. Let them see what you're doing. And you want to make sure that what you show people when you're showing them the game, how's it going to make you feel when you're playing it? So you got to come with something a little bit more creative and inventive than a new polished version of Tic-Tac-Toe, I assume. Well, it depends. Okay. It depends on, I mean, it depends on how new and inventive it is. You never know. I mean, what was it? Uh, Love Letters, seven, was it seven cards? Uh, 17 cards. 17 or 18, 17, yeah. 17 or 18 cards took the gaming world by storm. Cards, playing cards. Okay. Now, just I mean, just someone looking at the, <laughs> he's got in Vino Morte with him. It's another one of those micro games. So just depending on how inventive you are, and again, plugging in and knowing the publishers, mm-hmm. you know, understanding, because that's, that's a perfect example. If you're making a small game, there are publishers out there that specialize in that. If you're making a game that's going to have a board and a ginormous box and, you know, 300 minis, don't take that to a publisher that doesn't do that sort of thing. Gotcha. You know, there are publishers that do that. So that's why I say, you know, do your homework. The advice that I give the people that have asked me in the position I'm in, hey, how did you get there? The young people, and I've had a few, not many, I've had a few, but this is legitimately what I tell them. What is it that you do? Are you a mathematician? Are you an artist? Do you write? Whatever that is, polish that. Continue to learn that. Polish that as much as you can so that when the opportunity arises, you'll be prepared. Don't try to chart your course. Make sure that your your craft and your skill is as high as it possibly can be. And doing that research is part of it. Have you can ever I, had a game published? Officially not yet, but I do have two on the way. So it was a part of my new job. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so That I can't speak about just yet. So your podcast, The Spoken Token, first of all, you just released the 111th episode. Congratulations on that. Thank you, sir. Quite an accomplishment. You and your co-host, Alex Wallace, talk about everything from design to strategy to table size and storage methods. <laughs> you clearly love the world of board games. Absolutely. In fact, you guys get so passionate, it gets heated. Let's listen. When it comes to legacy games, when it uh, it comes to a lot of different games, there is a difference between player created narrative versus designer creative created narrative. What's the value, though? Uh, just, just let me finish. Let me finish. Okay. So ultimately there will be a, and I, I think this is one of the things to consider. Do you as, and uh, this isn't you, this is the generic you as the, the consumer. Do you have the ability and the creative spark to write, to tell the story um, without someone writing out the words for you. So for you, you were able to, based on all of the things that were augmented and changed and played, the, um, the, 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 the ebb and flow of your game of Risk Legacy. It had nothing to do with Mindspace. That's what there is happened no, on the board. There is, is no written text. 
that tells you that this happens. Doesn't okay. matter though. Hey, hey, buddy. Yeah, hey, matter. buddy. Listen. All right. Uh, um, okay. I think yeah. I think we're experiencing a time when you have you're dug in, and I'm. Uh, you know. Well, what? no. Again, I'm just trying to get the view out there. You're, you're coming at this like I'm trying to change your point of view, and I'm really not. And you're coming at it like I'm saying that your point of view is now valuable, which again I'm not doing. All I'm saying is there is a different version of what you're talking about also that can coexist along with what you've said. That's that's really all I'm doing. I mean, I'm not the whole versus thing and button heads thing. I'm not that that has nothing to do with what I'm trying to do. There's just two points of view. Yours, your point of view that you came across with first is not the only one that's valid is what the point is. We need to put out more than one point of view. That's 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 all I'm doing. Again, it's yeah, it's not a matter of trying to point heads, buddy. Cause not everything is like that at all. That's all, man. Just get some water, man. Calm down. Okay. Um, Andy, does it get this intense at the events you host? <clears throat> uh, uh, not usually. Um, this is clearly, <laughs> this is clearly Larry, Larry and Alex's long friendship where they feel, they feel comfortable butting heads. And that's cool. Generally speaking, the events we have are pretty chill. Um, we have a code of conduct for our events. I've never had to use it. I've been running events now since um, 2014, end of 2014. I've never had to ask someone to leave. I've never had to ask someone to like, hey, can you chill out? Um, thankfully, you know, knock on wood. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, usually it does get heated. You know, people like to win. I like to win. But for me... The the goal of playing board games is um, is spending time with people, yes. yeah. right, in person, like face-to-face. -face. Gotcha. So. Okay. So we're going to do a little bit of a speed round gaming questions for our experts. Oh, you no. ready, gentlemen? Uh-oh. Yes. All right, here we go. Uh, we'll have Andy answer first, and then Larry. All right. All right. Best game of all time. <laughs> <laughs> this is speed round. Uh, okay, I'll say uh, I like Power Grid. Power Grid. Larry. I'm going to go Homer and say Twilight Imperium. Okay. Right. Edition. Game you absolutely hate the most. Oh. Andy. Uh, I'm totally drawing a blank on oh, Cards Against Humanity. Okay. Ditto. Well, ditto. Yeah, I, 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 I third that. Have you ever cheated at a board game? Not intentionally. Not intentionally. What was the dollar amount to stop playing all games for life? What's the dollar amount to stop? <sighs> Uh, twenty-seven dollars. No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> priceless. I I'm impossible. You're gonna keep on playing games, Larry. Yeah. Keep on until I can't see them or hear them or learn the rules. Well, I know I could be bought. I want to <laughs> thank you both so much for coming on to the show. Thank you, thank you so much, Larry Neal and Andy Matthews. Really appreciate you both. Thank you, sir. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. This is Nashville, a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back to, at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Limley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. Shout out to our intern, Doreen Schernecki, the masterminds behind our theme music, our LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Nina Cardone. Bob Bernstein and Rick Kuehler. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.